This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Hello and welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, a rapidly growing show for accountants and firms, plus those who serve them, sell to them and sell to them. It features accountancy, fintech news and commentary analysis of that news and how it applies to you as accountants in practice. You also get practical what works tips and experts interviews. This is CPE or CPD accredited. It's social media promoted. It's commercially backed. We have 22,000 listeners right now all over the world in 150 countries, predominantly in the UK and the US. And I'm Rob Brown, one of your co-hosts, along with Martin Bissett. And let's get started with today's show. Hey, Rob, I hope you're in the mood for a quiz because I've got a question for you. Who would you say is the world's first client engagement and commerce platform for professional services? Are you talking about something that streamlines how accountants, bookkeepers win new business, engage clients, get paid, those kind of things? Oh, exactly that, yes. It's got to be Ignition. Ooh, right, first time. It's because with Ignition, you can easily win new business with impressive digital proposals. You can engage new and existing clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection all in one place. What I love about it is it connects with all the leading apps to run a business on autopilot, automate those time-consuming tasks like client onboarding or invoicing. And you know what that means. That means less admin and it means more time for clients. So it's easy for you, easy for clients, win-win. So what do people do if they want to find out more, Martin, about Ignition? To get an exclusive discount of 25% on all Ignition plans, head to our special podcast partners page at accountinginfluencers.com where the Ignition offer will be waiting for you. It's time for the news on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm Rob Brown, one of your hosts here. And in this news section, we don't necessarily just give you the news. We give you the insights and the implications of the news and what it means for you accountants. Now, there's a lot going on in the world right now. We know these busy pandemic times. Digital transformation is driving forward. There's a sense of overwhelm, anxiety, the great resignation, so much to do, busy season, all of those things going on all over the world. And accountants stand in the gap, don't they, as that that superhero between the businesses trying to get the economy going again and all the compliance and regulation and everything that needs doing to run a business and navigate these complex times. And so in the news, we give you little snippets we found from journalists, media experts all over the world and pick some good ones out for you and say, what does it mean to you as accounting practitioners? And today we are going to accounting today and a great piece by Chris Jutano. I hope I'm saying that properly, Chris. Uh, Shout out to you. We're connected on LinkedIn, Chris and I. He hails out of Brooklyn in New York, uh, a super writer, comes out with some great stuff. And he's done a piece called Digital Transformation Slowing Down, Say Businesses. So let's talk about this piece and what it means for you as accountants. Accounting today via Workday, shout out to them, uh, business management software provider, did a survey with business leaders in North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific, 13 industries involved across functions like uh, HR, IT, finance, took place at the end of 2021. And they looked at digital transformation in all of those areas. And this is what they found. 58% of business leaders, these are your clients, your accountants, said the frenetic pace of digital transformation has started to lose steam with the pandemic. Uh, so it's not expected to, it was expected to really take off. We had this digital revolution, didn't we? We're all going online now, everything's in the cloud, uh, but people are tempering expectations. And to give you some perspective, in 2020, 36% of companies expected digital transactions to account for 75% or more of their revenues within three years. Let me say that again. In 2020, 36%, just over a third of companies expected digital transactions to account for more than three quarters of their revenue within three years. This has now shrunk to 13% saying the same. And that's only slightly higher than the 12% that was reported in 2019, that's pre-pandemic. So what does this mean? Businesses are becoming more prudent, uh, a little bit slower, more considered when it comes to tech adoption. Uh, And a number of businesses saying they have adopted a fail fast experimental mentality, went from 77% in 2020 to a 53% in 2021 and beyond. So people are less adopting that fail fast. In other words, they're not taking as many risks. They're not trying things fast, trying to fail fast 
What businesses are looking for now, says the report, is steady but sustainable pace of change. We've spoken a lot on the show, Martin Bissett and I, about how fast things are going. And you've noticed that in your workplace. Uh, fast to get back to work, fast to leave work, fast to go remote. Greater expectations of clients all the time. So businesses want steady and sustainable change. Only 42% of IT leaders in business feel confident that they can adopt cloud technology without legacy constraints. Listen to that. And 50% are struggling to keep pace with upgrades as part of legacy technology. There's a lot going on with legacy technology. It's embedded in accounting firms and the businesses that they serve. Is it fit for purpose? Where is it going with cloud? Is it still on the desktop? Lots to consider here. A majority, it says in, in this piece by Chris Chitano, a majority, 59%, said in this survey that it can take weeks or months to change an automated business practice. So that sense that things were going fast, we were being super agile, super adoptive, super adaptive, that's slowing down. People have been a little bit more measured and almost taken the reins and said, hey, this is too fast. We're making too many quick decisions here. We're pivoting too quickly. So this is a great piece by Chris, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Let's just go on a little bit more and finish this off. As for why digital transformation has slowed, Chris said the most commonly cited reason is lack of workers with the requisite skills to lead a transition at 38%. Now, I speak a lot on employer brand with clients. I do videos for accounting networks, associations, alliances, and accounting firms to help them tell their employer brand story. So I interview their staff and say, why is your place a great place to work? And we do case studies for them as well. Why do clients hire you? And uh, in looking at employer brand, one of the things I've picked out as a trend is that skills are going out of date very quickly. I saw one stat, I think it was via Forbes, that said the skills we've got right now will be obsolete in 12 to 18 months because of the rate of change and the, and the way technology is going. So when it says we need to look at skills and lack of skills, requisite skills is halting transformation. That's something we need to take notice of, the way people are staying up to date or not up to date. So you can read a little bit more about this. Chris goes on to talk about how digital transformation is no longer a choice. We know that we need it, but the acceleration that we were thinking about before, that's not materializing us properly. There is a lot more things going on here. And it's encouraging that global finance leaders, IT leaders, HR leaders are taking a more measured approach to transformation strategies by leverage technology that drives adaptability across their businesses, adaptability, adoption, taking things a little bit more slowly, but getting it right. That is the news for today. Lots for you to think about as accounting practitioners and trusted advisors, not so much pushing your clients so hard to take on cloud, to take on digital, but giving them a little bit of space to make sure they make the right decisions in the right way that fits with their strategic goals. And that is the news. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers fly. Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to this week's special interview. I'm thrilled to have with me today Ian Thompson from the University of Birmingham. You're a professor, Ian, and you've also got a foot in the banking well. It is great to have you with us. It's good to be here. Ian, for people that haven't come across you, we'll put your bio in the show notes here, but just tell us very briefly the world that you live in. Right now, I uh, sort of like a, almost like a full-time research academic, trying to develop better understanding the new ways that businesses can begin to transform so they can actually future-proof themselves and, and, sort of, and optimize their value-creating potential in the changing kind of scenario that we've got just now with the many different kind of pressures which are coming from environmental pressures, social and economic pressures. And, and in some ways, about, it's about kind of building resilience for things which come from nowhere. You, you know, who, who would have thought last year we were looking at supply chains in the context of a potential European war. I'm very interested in risk, evidence and decision making and innovation and how all these things come together, how they're all aligned in ways, because often you find that the really powerful, I think, transformative and successful businesses are how they assemble all these different things together in unique configurations, but also able to change agile to change to, to different different circumstances. Yeah. And you're co-author of the book Urgent Business. Are we seeing burning platforms in a lot of these areas where businesses now need to do something about the environment, about sustainability? Is that what that was about? Very much so. The main message, kind of like, I suppose we sum up in the, the book is 
do something. One thing you can almost guarantee if you decide to ignore some of these big environmental and social pressures, so for example, climate change, you're not going to survive. The, the other thing what we try and do in the book is we develop this idea of positive pathways. And actually, it's not about seeing this as a threat, but actually seeing that often businesses are already much further on the sustainability journey than they think. It's like how many agricultural businesses want to perpetuate hunger? No, it's actually their job is to do it. How many people want to damage and destroy the communities within which they live? And in many ways, what we try and do is try and say, look, sustainability is, is actually quite natural to us as humans in society. Because it's like, it's how we, how our societies have existed, you know, over the last kind of like 10, 15,000 years, we've sustained what is it that made us successful in, in, in sustaining. And it's often it's about rediscovering these different kind of characteristics. There is an urgency now that I don't think we had before. I think there's ideas of planetary boundaries where, you know, we live in a finite planet. And, and as you said, <laughs> we're eating ourselves up too quickly. We're heating ourselves up too quickly. And we're seeing the consequences now. And so, so therefore, not to do something is all I, I kind of think, if, if you like, and, and I know other people in, in accounting do feel this as well, not to do something is professionally irresponsible. We recently had in, in your homeland in Glasgow, COP26, was it, which is this sustainability summit with the world's global leaders. Has that changed anything, Ian? I think, it, I think it has. It's made people realise that this stuff has got real. A lot of this thing started back in Rio. So Rio 1992, the Rio Declaration. But when, it, when we sort of look at things to do with right now, it was bringing it together. And, and one of the interesting things I thought it is, is, is very much an accounting sense is that one of the big victories of COP26 in getting people together and thinking about it was actually to do a stock take next year, which is very much an account in terms of what are we doing, what's likely to happen, starting to get some serious planning. Different ones like Paris made the concept. COP26 has actually started to say, what are we going to do about it? How can we make it real? It actually pulled people together, got them in the same space. People were seeing new ideas, innovation technologies, they were um, riding on a hydrogen train, so no longer kind of sci-fi stuff. You know, you get a shot to go back and forward. We can start to do this. So in terms of actions, Ian, our accounting listeners, what can they do to be more sustainable and help the businesses and individuals they serve be more sustainable? Well, it's a very, very good question. And there's long answers and there's short answers because sustainability is, is, is rather, in some ways, a rather complex system. I think the key thing is not to think of it as becoming necessarily more sustainable. To actually think about the actual decisions anytime you've got a choice to make within a business. Say, for example, climate change. We could say, okay, how, how, can, I, how can we work out the carbon footprint of our business? That's an interesting question. But to me, you want to improve things. You want to reduce your carbon emissions. And what you want to do is say, well, what is it that we can do to reduce our carbon emissions? Businesses are actually weak and fragile kind of institutions and, and society and the environment gets rid of them, and, you know, kind of like kills them off when they're not fit for purpose. People running businesses are not aware of all of the risks to the organisations. They're certainly not always aware of the costs. They often uh, trapped into the thinking that what, what's, what it's costing us today will be the same for the next, in the next few years. Whereas I think accountants have the ability to look at these factors and to plan ahead and to financially model these things and actually look at them. And again, it's like you, you talk about things like climate change. You've just got to run some different scenarios on the fossil fuel cost, the cost of petrol, the cost of gas. Run them through some of your spreadsheets and then start to see the extent to which these things start to challenge the, your business model. And if you're dependent upon, and what you've got to also look at, I think, is really is to say, as a business, what are we dependent on? Who else are we dependent on to actually to deliver the things that we need? And what are the different scenarios that are actually there? If you're in clothing, you're kind of like dependent upon potentially fast fashion, which has got a kind of major problem with, for example, a modern slavery, forced labor, environmental kind of practices. How likely is your business to continue to depend on those kind of raw materials, those products being provided at virtually kind of really, really low prices? Can you survive it? 
Is this the same as the ESG, the Environmental Social Governance Agenda, Ian? It's related. I, I see the, the ESG as, as a way in which people are trying to translate sustainability into business context. Because it is about managing risk, isn't it? And those non-material resources and growth opportunities. It absolutely should be. And it's like, it's, it's very much about trying to get a, a multi-dimensional account of what the business does. So rather than just looking at the financial account, which is you know just one dimension of a business's performance, is to look at its performance against a range of different different kind of like characteristics. That's part of the problem though, isn't it? It's the reporting of ESG. It's such a woolly subject for many people. It's a bit vague, it's a bit fluffy. It's getting the hard facts on it. It's a, there, there, is a, there is a mixture of, of the two of them. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty flawed just now because I think ESG has evolved from um, voluntary disclosures and it's very fuzzy. So people, companies, just choose to disclose what the kind of information they choose how to calculate how to measure things and for me one of the problems is that ESG has evolved from these different voluntary initiatives and it's now this kind of many-headed monster when you look at some of these 300 question questionnaires that, that businesses have to fill in and put the data in and then translate it into into some form of accounting it really has has lost its root in what it's actually trying to, to achieve. There's been a little bit competitive pressure. Everyone's trying to create the their best ESG score, their metrics, their their data to actually to do things, and they're competing against each other, which really muddies the water. Which means that even when you do get numbers, you often find it very difficult to interpret the numbers or to compare it with different numbers as as it goes along. In the business circles, we've all heard the Peter Drucker quote of what gets measured gets managed. It's a famous one. Is that very much a case with ESG and sustainability? It, it very much is. The rest of the quote, I think, is is, is really telling because what it was... <laughs> Share it with us, Ian. <laughs> so what it basically says that what gets measured gets managed, even if it's pointless to do so. And if by imagine, managing in that way, you actually harm the business. Most people think, oh, well, that means we should we should actually measure things. Whereas actually the, what it's saying is, no, you have to be really careful about what you measure. You have to think about what you measure. Well, some things you want to manage, you can't measure easily, can you? That's the point. That's the point we try and make in the book is that when you can measure something really accurately, you often don't need to manage it. You need to administer it. You can easily control it. You can set up automatic ways of things. If you imagine you could actually create, based on your accounting numbers, a, a kind of system and then walk away from it and then let it manage itself, like it might be labor time, it might be you know, labor efficiency, without any human intervention, that's, that's actually kind of... The point is, is, for businesses, it's all about... It's about orchestrating, assembling, aligning different things. And okay, you might have one good measure, but it's almost like about how you combine these different things together because they all have knock-on consequences that, you know, if you... I remember a great example of working at... It was a cheese factory making uh, frozen, you know, frozen mozzarella for pizza. And one of of their, their engineers managed to kind of develop this way that which saved something like about half a pence on a bag for a two kilo bag of cheese and was really proud of themselves. However, it had a treble bus train and this cheese was selling for about 2000 pounds a tonne. And there was this, they were saving, they kind of like, they missed the focus. They, they were kind of measuring the wrong thing because they didn't have a thing for wastage to burst bags. Well, accountants is a breed though. They're overladen with data. There's so many data points now. There's so many things to measure. So you're bringing in more data by measuring a lot of this stuff. Is there a chance that we get lost in the minutiae of the detail? I, I think we can. And I think I, this is where I think there's a lot of we can actually make take advantage of new technology. You, we can manage multiple data points. I mean, the, the Excel spreadsheet, is. Uh, I remember where our first Excel spreadsheet had, I think it was 32 rows and, and, and eight, eight columns. And, and you had to fit everything, everything onto there. Whereas now, you have thousands of columns and data, and people can actually handle that complexity when it's properly assisted with technology. Things like you can start to use data visualizations, plug in your kind of your data, and then you get ongoing graphs. It's, I've seen some nice ones that are like, almost like, you know, the CT scan type thing. This is a changing approach, though, for accountancy and who you, you know have traditionally looked backwards, historical in their reporting, 
talking about what's happened rather than what is going to happen. But I suppose you would argue that this is what businesses need right now in, in predictions, risk assessments. Who else in the organization is doing that type of forward looking, and not just in an imagining kind of new products, but actually taking what's the consequences of the decisions and how we're running forward? And how we can actually start to use stuff like AI or machine-based learning or pattern recognition. You know, they're open sourced. You know, if you want to, to analyze something, you just walk into the nearest university or school or scratch, scratch surface and ask, ask for some help. And they can now start to do multiple scenarios of, of it where you can actually look at the data, run it through five or six scenarios and identify the pattern of behavior that, that's actually needed. You know, accounting has developed quite a lot in its use of IT. In fact, it's one of the, you know, the first applications of it. We now need to embrace it. I mean, there is absolutely data everywhere. Should we choose to ignore it in accounting because it gets a bit complicated because it doesn't fit in how you were taught to do a budget at university, in my case, in 1981? What advice would you give to clients as we draw things to a close? The clients of accounting firms for whom... These issues are more important to them than the accountants. So they want their advisors to step up, to do something, to give them better data so they can make better decisions going forward. I think they need to be able to ask the right questions and better questions. So, for example, what is our climate climate risk exposure and what's the cost of different energy procurement strategies? That would make an accountant sit up and take notice that they need to get some data. Well, the point is, is that they'll be asked to do that, you know, with, I suspect, in about five years' time, it'll become mandatory. And they want to get ahead of the game. What else can they ask these business clients of their accountancy? I think they can look for financial vulnerability and financial risks. We did a, a small piece of research. We looked at the main constraints of a set of industries, like what were the kind of the planetary boundaries that would affect a particular sector? So if it's water and water-related businesses. Then we looked at the account to the material kind of like risks that they were disclosing, and we found that very rarely was it actually identified. And it's because the accountants were following reporting guidance to come up with, with this, whereas what you maybe should have got was the production engineer to come up and say, for us, this is the critical limiting factor. What would we do? What would be the consequences if we couldn't get this? Things right now which are constraining businesses and looking at different scenarios. Well, how confident are you in your in your financial projections? <laughs> yes, that's a good one for accountants. That would make them a little bit edgy. And in this VUCA world that we live in, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, you'll be very well aware of that phrase. Accountants definitely need to be that lighthouse in the fog or the darkness of shining a light to say, this is the way, walk in it. And here's the data to back up that. I can't agree more because they, they really need to do that. They also need to I think to develop skills about working out where the data is and trying to be quite innovative in some of these different things. I mean, um, my son is doing an internship in the UN looking at, um, you know, kind of forestry and stuff like that. And he was telling me that there's companies now who are actually, you don't need to worry about forestry management or impact and stuff like that because you can actually get real-time um, sort of scans of, of ecosystems, of emissions, of kind of pollutions from satellite data, and you can actually kind of download onto your system. And the thing is, if you're not doing it, somebody else is. That's the, that's the thing. So it's like, the, you know, particularly looking at this um, open, open data, you know, kind of interoper interoperable data that you can actually include. Because many of the things that previously as accountants we thought we couldn't do, so working out impact modeling and um, things like, what's the impact of, of sea level rises, for example? These, these are just a click away now that you can actually integrate. And as you said, it's like the lighthouse, you look in, but you know where to look and you know what data's uh, available. What advice would you give to the accountants listening that know this is important? They want to get to grips with it. They want to make some initial steps. They want to get a handle on this. They want to offer more value and serve their clients better. How do they get started? Well, first thing, you, you could turn to our webpage, which I think is there. What, we try, what we've tried to do on, on, our, on this, this, the Center for Responsible Business is actually identify a number of these stages. And we talk about we've developed a series of positive pathways that business can actually start to develop. And, and in there is accountability and some, some accountability measurements, uh, steps that people can actually take 
and how it links in with a range of, of different different activities. So I would suggest that you have a look at have you look at our webpage. We've got some guidance here. We've been working with the Institute Charter Council of England and Wales and the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants to develop tools and techniques. We recently co-published a report on with the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants on how accountants can start to integrate sustainable development goals into their accounting practices. And you're UK-based, Ian, but presumably this applies all over the planet, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing with the Chartered Institute Management, they're a global institution, so they've got a massive footprint. The other thing is, is to go to your professional accountancy bodies. There, there's um, some amazing um, CPD courses. They're all doing something in this space. And often these things, if you've got to do CPD, why not spend your time looking at sustainability and looking at looking at these risks? You get the same credits off it. It, it opens your eyes to, to new potential. Well, you, you're very passionate, Ian Thompson. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. That's been great. No problem. Thanks very much. If you're new to the Accounting Influencers podcast, this is the Thursday show, and it's a very practical session. We define most of these episodes around the topic, here's what works. And it's why Martin Bissett, my co-host, and I bring you stories from the trenches, practical examples, insights, things we've learned over our consulting career spanning 20, 25 years each, where we've been helping accounting professionals and technically super smart people to get right, often the softer side of things, which helps them be better at their job. And today I'd like to talk about a key topic that's been on my heart for a number of years since I wrote the book, Build Your Reputation with Wiley. You can find that on Amazon. They're the largest business publishers in the world and really proud of that book. It was a career playbook, really, of what it takes to build a reputation that makes you so difficult to ignore in the workplace. And for accountants who want to have their hands on the steering wheel of their own career, it is important that you build a reputation so that you can swap that reputation and human capital for the kind of job and perks and benefits, flexibility, autonomy, power, choices, interesting work that you want. And one of the dynamics of a great reputation is the way people talk about you with executive presence, sometimes called corporate executive presence. And by this, I mean, you know those people that have a certain gravitas they exude confidence. They've got some kind of a presence. They've got that depth of personality, that weight of voice, and they don't attract attention because they're overly confident and extrovert and flashy and super charismatic. There's often a silent confidence that is seen and felt by other people. They speak, they act, they walk in a way that draws other people in. People hang on their words and and they influence, they persuade others to take action, to follow, to listen, to pay attention. And they somehow read a room really well and the room is drawn to them. And you can think of people like that in your life. And when you consider them, it could be male, female, could be young, could be old. It's not always age dependent. It's not a, a maturity thing so much in saying that executive presence is people only with gray hair or no hair and a few wrinkles. You can have a presence when you are young and you young practitioners listening, we've got... 25,000 accounting practitioners and people associated with accounting listening to our podcast all over the world, you want to be heard. You want influence. You want a seat at the table. You want more of a voice in what you're doing. You want more choice in what you're doing, more power. So we can't put our finger on one single thing that leads to executive presence because like trust, it's a multifaceted character attribute. But I am going to unpack for you in this episode just a a few things for you to consider in developing your executive presence. And over coming weeks, I'll develop this a little bit because it's this combination of attributes and skills and personality traits that give you that executive presence. And and one thing to mention before I come into what exactly works, it does require work. You don't wake up with executive presence. You've got to acquire some skills. You've got to develop your personality, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you present. So you've got to be committed to personal and professional development. You've got to want to be better tomorrow than you are today. You've got to want to be more employable, more promotable, more desirable, more attractive. You've got to command attention. So you've got to disrupt some old ways of thinking. And one of my favorite quotes is by Eric Hoffer. He says, the mark of an educated person is the degree to which they're willing to let go of old ideas to embrace new ways of thinking. So you've got to let some old habits go. You've got to commit to practicing skills, even when they don't perhaps feel unnatural. So first thing I'd say to you 
is cut out your non-words. And I see this such a lot, even with experienced people that you would have, uh, that you would deem to have executive presence, is they fill their communication with lots of non-words. A non-word is a word or a phrase that doesn't mean anything. I'll give you some examples, and you recognize these. You know, kind of, sort of, I mean, you know what I mean. Um, these things mean nothing. They dilute the impact of your conversation. They don't mean anything. They're a stalling mechanism while you get your brain in gear and tell people, I'm not fully in command of my thoughts. So I'm using a filler here like um to buy me time to let you know I still have control of the conversation and the microphone so that you don't jump in and interrupt. But I'm really just getting my words lined up to say the next thing I'm going to say. And it's a very confident person that will stop talking while they gather their thoughts. And there's nothing wrong with gathering your thoughts. It's part of gravitas that you are more slow in your delivery and more, what's the word I'm looking for? More weighty in that you're making all of your words count. The pauses are good. You're not talking really, really fast and overwhelming people with the sheer amount of words, which can come from a place of lack of confidence and that you need to say so much in a short space of time to convey that you are worth dealing with. So cut out your non-words. Instead, when you feel like saying, and, you know, take out the you know. So you say, and, the other thing to consider is X, Y, and Z. Now, this takes practice. I've advised people in the past, and I've offered feedback to people, uh, people that preach, pastors in churches, professional speakers, uh, offering feedback from a dynamics point of view in delivering a more punchy, weighty sermon. Uh, and some people take feedback really well. Other people don't. One of the most common mistakes I see them make is filling with non-words. and. Uh, They'll say something like, so you see, what's going on here is, and you don't need the phrase, you see. You don't need the phrase, you know. I hear some preachers say, how many of you know that the Bible is the most read book in the world? And they're not really asking the question. We don't need the bit, how many of you know? The fact is, the Bible is the most read book in the world. So state your facts, be confident in your assertions. And when you put, here's another non-word, I think, I think. When I interview a lot of people, and I do on this Accounting Influencers podcast, I ask, what's coming up for accountants in the next few years? Or a common question I ask is, what, what are the skills and attributes that accounting practitioners need to be successful over the next few years? And the first words out of many people's mouths is, well, I think this should be more on board with advisory, or I think they should listen to clients more, or I think they should develop presentation skills, or I think leadership skills should be. So it's, I think, I think, which makes what you're saying an opinion rather than a fact. So if you take the I think off this, you become a lot more punchy, a lot more impactful. So that's the first thing words, cut out your non-words. The second thing I'll give you right now is to be more clear on your messaging. And it's not a fancy title. It's not a job role that gives you executive presence. It's demonstrating this when you're communicating what is important. And many people talk too long. They say too much. And it is actually more difficult to speak for a short amount of time. There's a famous quote by Mark Twain, who wrote Huckleberry Finn. He said to somebody, I'm writing you a long letter because I don't have time to write you a short one. And too often leaders waffle. They dither. They go around the bushes, as we say. It's hard to follow. They're making too many points. They're rambling. They don't get to the point. Uh, I had one phrase, stick to a lane, commit to a lane and land the plane. You may have heard that phrase. Don't have eight points, have two and make them really well and reinforce them. So be clear, be concise, be punchy. Don't use 10 words when three will do. And every word should fight for the right to be in your presentation, to be in your speech. One of my famous uh, lines that I come out with in my keynotes when I'm explaining this idea of being more brief in what you're saying is this phrase, why use a policeman in an automobile when a cop in a car will do? Why use a policeman in an automobile when a cop in a car will do? If you've got any kind of command of the English language, you'll see that those two things say the same thing. They both convey exactly the same message, a policeman in an automobile, a cop in a car, but one is short, punchy, gets in, gets out, moves on to the next thing or reinforces that message. The other is long, it's windy, it's trying to impress with long words. We don't need that. 
people have short attention spans these days. So be easy to remember. Remember that words matter and any kind of clarity and brevity yields confidence in what you're doing. So that's the second thing. I'm going to leave it there for today. There's a couple of good things to go on there. So the first is cut out the non-words and make every single word count. That's what you've got to do if you want more gravitas, more confidence. The second is be clear on your message. Be brief, which is part of cutting out the non-words, but know what you really want to say. Know what's important. Starting with the end in mind, you're saying, if I've got two minutes to deliver this or I'm going to put my hand up in this meeting and say something, what do I want people to think, do, feel or say when I shut my mouth and stop talking? And if you commit to that end goal, any speech, any delivery, any conversational exchange that you're engaged in will have gravitas. It will have executive presence. And if you're any kind of leader or want to be leader, any kind of manager, we're all in the business of influencing and persuading people. Even the most introverted people in the world will influence thousands of people in their lifetime. So that is what works with executive presence. There is more to come on this, but make a pledge today to ask somebody to hold you accountable for your non-words. If you ever hear me say these words, let me know. Or are there any phrases you think that I say more often than I should do and get people to pick you up on that and then be much more concise, punchy, impactful, dynamic, pointed, intentional, focused with your message, commit to a lane and land the plane. I quite like that phrase. It's not mine, but you can use it with uh, all impunity that you need. It's all yours, but go there, do something, be more influential, have more presence. You will get more done. You will be a stronger leader. You can change the world with presence. Have a great day. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work, and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. That means less admin and more time for client Rob. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Hi, and welcome to our interview for this week. And I'm thrilled to have with me today an old friend, Emma Crawford Folicona from Ignition. For people that haven't come across you and Ignition, tell us a little bit about your world. Yeah, sure. So um, Ignition, as we're now known, you probably would have noticed there's been a bit of a rebrand recently, which we can we can talk about later on if we want to. Um, it's basically the world's first client engagement and commerce platform for professional services. So we focus on that relationship that you build with your clients, not just when you first engage them, but the ongoing relationship as well. And then how that, how we can automate that relationship, make it the best experience for your client and for yourself. Personally, I head up the EMEA team, um, which is super exciting. I am an escaped accountant um, for my sins. <laughs> um, so I stopped practicing around 10 years ago now, um, but, but been, been in the industry with senior leadership roles at Zero over in New Zealand, and then moved back to the UK to take this role with, with Ignition um, in 2020, which was terrible timing with the pandemic. Well, I'm a former high school maths teacher. I observe from afar how much the teaching game has changed. Has the accountancy world changed since you left the ranks? Oh, honestly, Rob, it's it's like chalk and cheese. And one of the things that people always say to me is, you know, coming from particularly a smaller country population wise, like New Zealand, and obviously that's where really that's where cloud accounting software was born with zero or the way that we come to know it now and the way that other other cloud accounting softwares or fintech has have developed since that it was it was born in New Zealand all those years ago. So and people always say to me, oh, does it feel like, you know, the UK is so much further behind New Zealand? 
And I would actually say, no, it's not like that at all. We just have very unique, I guess, challenges with the way the industry run, is run here. And, and a lot of that is to do with the size, the size of our industry versus, you know, like New Zealand, for example. Um, but definitely going away and coming back. There were some shocks. I always tell people like when I moved back and I, I'd kept one bank account going because I'm a British citizen. So I didn't want to, you know, cut all ties. But opening up bank accounts and, and getting mortgages and things like that when we came back over to the UK, it just seemed very old fashioned. Like I was asked if I wanted a checkbook. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd used cash, even when I was, like, it's very much a cashless society in New Zealand. And, and to come back and be offered a checkbook and be told, no, no, if you want to get a taxi, you need cash because actually a lot of them still don't take card. It was a bit, it was quite mind blowing. And that obviously then has the roll on effect to the industry because of as accountants, we don't want to necessarily, um, I guess, isolate ourselves or, or pigeonhole ourselves to work with only certain type of clients, unless that's our strategy and our plan in our firm. So I guess it does mean that we are a bit bulkier, a bit bigger, but, but the adoption of technology is huge from when I left to, to, to now. Um, I think one of the big things for me is when I left, um, because of I, I was I moved to New Zealand because of the role of zero. No one knew what zero was. No one really knew. What, everyone thought, oh, you're still you're just going to be an accountant, right? But in New Zealand, so it's like no, no, I'm going into fintech, and people kind of looked at me funny. Whereas now coming back, you see it everywhere. You see um, all of the big fintech um, companies advertising on you know primetime TV slots with TVCs. You see them on billboards. Everyone who is in the industry is at least aware of your top three players. So you say industry a lot. Do you see it as an accounting industry or an accounting profession and a fintech industry? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I do see it as an industry and I, and I see it as more of like an accounting and bookkeeping industry together, um, which is probably quite, um, could be, um, I guess, controversial. What makes it an industry, Emma? Um, I think for me, it's because of it's it's more than just the individual profession and the day to day um, engagement, for example, between an accountant who's, you know, in the accounting profession and is a chartered accountant or a non chartered or a bookkeeper um, and their client is is so much more than that. Right. What makes it an industry is for them to be able to have that touch points. They have to depend on fintech. Or, or they choose to depend on fintech and they choose to gather, you know, build up those connections, that network around them to be able to benefit their client. It's no longer a, okay, I'm going to go and see my accountant. So I'm going to walk into a high street accounting firm, sit down and we're going to get a calculator out and a pen and paper and all, you know, our old work papers, and then we're going to physically sign. So I think for me, what makes it an industry is there's a dependency on technology. There's a dependency on other people. And there's also a cross collaboration between, you know, bookkeepers, accountants, you know, people who are in industry, finance, banking, all of the, the government, yeah. You've argued that pretty well. I, I understand that. <laughs> what would you say? Well, when you talk to accountants who have sweated blood and tears to get their qualifications, they like to generally see themselves on a par with lawyers and doctors and those kind of people. So they would claim to be professional and then thus be part of a profession. But when we speak to people on the show from all over the world, Particularly in North America, they see it as an industry. They don't really call it a profession. Perhaps in the UK, we're a little bit more snobbish and would deem it to be a profession. I'm only a part qualified accountant, so I don't really have a say in it. But uh, for the sake of good order, as we say here in Britain, we, uh, we call it a professional just to keep some cohort of it happy. But whatever we call it, we can't deny that there's been a lot of change and a lot of disruption over the last few years, not just through COVID, but the sheer pace of change of technology. Do you want to speak into that a little bit? What have you observed? Yeah, I think I think observations have been very much, I mean, I find this a really exciting time. So I was talking to someone the other day and they'd actually done some market research and I'm not going to mention too much about that because it's not my work and I don't want to steal their funder. Will it come out in the public domain at some point? It will do, yes. It will, do. It will come from Iris. <laughs> But, you know, um, you know, they, they've got some really great market research that they've done there and they're looking at prior to COVID, during the pandemic and then post the pandemic and the way that firms see themselves when it comes to utilising technology. So they use certain terminology. Again, it's not I don't want to take the wind out of their sails. It's very much their work. And but they, they did speak about this recently on their roadshow that they, they they've done around the UK and seeing the shift now of people's thought process of where and remember you're always going to be very subjective when you're going to talk about your own firm right so you're always going to be thinking okay well no I want to be one of those early adopters no I want to be you know a digitalized a fully digitalized practice and you never want to call someone else's baby ugly either so it was interesting to see the percentages of people that would call their firm 
fully digitalized versus people who said, yeah, we're getting there. Like we might have, for example, bookkeeping software to automate some of those manual tasks, but we've still got a way to go. And then you had people that were very much kind of, no, you know, we're happy, we're set, we're setting our ways, we're, 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 we're okay with desktop software, that's still software, like it's still technology. You know, we're happy with doing it how we were and, and doing manual processes. Now the shift that they'd shown was, was quite significant in the fact that obviously as we would expect due to the pandemic right all of a sudden our, our hands were forced we had to be able to work anywhere anytime on any device um and, and have the flexibility as well um and also the ability to to be able to do that work in an efficient way because our clients needed us more than ever and i'm saying us because of, i've still got my accountant I'm, I'm an accountant at heart um but they did really need us more than ever right so it was all of a sudden okay well we need to adapt and what we're doing is we're surviving we're making sure our clients survive whereas now why i think it's so exciting is because of by doing that, what it done is it shifted a lot of firms that were maybe on the more of the, no, we're happy how we are, it's working, maybe the desktop side, or we'll get to it. Like we do want to digitalize, but we've got, you know, like a five, six, seven year plan, we'll get there when we can. It forced their hand. So now out the other end, what we've got is a lot of firms, yes, there's been some moved up to now calling themselves fully digitalized, but a lot of the firms now are saying, we're sitting in that middle ground and we're not sure. Like, we're, again, we've, we've survived. So does thriving now mean that we have to go fully digitalized or, you know, what's the next catastrophe that's going to happen? How do we future proof in other ways as well? Not just looking at technology. That's been the biggest shift I would say from pre-pandemic, during pandemic and post-pandemic is just, there's been a significant movement again in the industry when, when we're talking about firms of going along that technology adoption journey. But rather than as we've always seen us moving across that technology adoption journey, we're actually doing it in bulk. So the industry is doing it in bulk. We've seen, you know, these late majority, for example, really having to move a bit quicker. There's no doubt we've seen an acceleration of adoption of change in accounting firms. My question now is who's driven that agenda? Because we hear of the vendors pushing the digital agenda. We hear clients now saying to their accounting advisors, hey, we need this, this, and this. We want to be in the cloud. We want this kind of advice. Or is it the accounting firms themselves that have woken up to say, hey, our old model of Excel spreadsheets and checkbooks and the old ways of doing things on paper is not working. We need to digitalize. Who's driving the change? You know what? I genuinely think it's a multifaceted approach. Like, yes, you know, the vendors have been talking about it for years, but also as a vendor, we've got our own intent. We're running a business ourselves. And yes, we're providing value, but we're always going to have that narrative. And regardless of whether or not, well, we have, we've seen it does work, right? We've got, we've got the proof. But we're always going to kind of sing that, you know, adopt technology now, do it quickly, do it, do it fast. This is what you need. So there is an element of that, which has kind of probably got the ball rolling. You're always going to have, I guess, what we call early adopters or the accountants that want are always looking for change. Like they just thrive on it. Quite often you'll see it might be younger, younger or it could be anyone, to be honest. But um, so you, you do get the, the drive from the accountants themselves. Of course, the clients, especially over the pandemic, it was it was the clients that that really kind of said, you know, we need this. We need this help. We need to be able to, you know, still work with you over the likes of video call. And we need to be able to e-sign things. We need to do things via email, et cetera. So and we need to do it efficiently. So definitely the clients. And also with the clients piece, even pre-pandemic, what you were finding is just in general, the world is becoming more accepting outside of the industry as well. With the use of technology, we're more accepting of entrepreneurial thought processes. We're, we're more encouraging of people going out on their own. Like we have this, whether it's right or wrong, this kind of hustle mentality that's really come to fruition over the last 10 years in different generations. So them as clients as well, they're creating their own businesses, which means you know, there's, there's more clients for firms to be able to service out there, but these clients then come with the expectation that they can work a certain way with accountants. And because they're using technology to run their business, they want to be able to use technology to be able to work with their accountant as well. So that was definitely a big piece. The bit that I'm going to call out that we, you didn't mention there as well, Rob, is, and I, I think is really changing it, is new people coming up through the profession. The younger generation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this makes me feel really old now saying this. I'm at that point in life where I can say, you know, the younger generation. Of course. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, you know, again, there's expectations. And this is probably back in the day, one of the reasons why I was tempted to, to leave the accounting industry as an accountant or the, the accounting profession, let's say, because, you know, I loved working with clients. I loved the whole the consultative approach. Um, I loved helping businesses thrive. But to get to that point, I, even though there was technology out there at this, time, at this stage, 
there was still an expectation that you would do X amount of years, even after, you know, qualifying. And there was still an expectation that you had to learn everything manually. And there was still an expectation that you had to, what I say, earn your stripes rather than allowing people that were, you know, say better um, with people. And I remember having a story once and I, I wasn't in a firm like this and in a big firm like this. There was a, one of my peers who I went to university with who was saying they were not allowed to pick up the phone to speak to a client until the end of their second year. Wow. And stuff like that, it does, it, it did, you know, it can put people off. And, and let's turn you to a desk for 10 to 15 years and you might make partner if you're lucky. Exactly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and that's how it used to, And you know what, actually, sometimes that is still happening. It definitely was pre-pandemic. So I think the, the profession and the industry had to change as well because we want to keep the talent and firms need to keep their talent I do a lot around lean efficiency and stuff and one of the biggest um, or the most inefficient uh, practices that you can have is underutilized talent so yeah so I think that's really shifted how have the vendors in tech and software themselves changed because there's such a fast-moving pace of technology as we've alluded to but we're seeing different strategies from vendors some are making the accountants the hero of the story some are marginalizing them and trying to get to the data and the clients directly what's your take on that yeah, I think it's really interesting. And there's definitely not a, a one size fits all. I think it depends the offering that, that you're given. It depends, you know, who your ideal customers are as well. So as an example, um, I can just talk from an ignition point of view. We're very much, you know, customer centric, customer focused. Are we adding value? For us, it's more about product led growth. So, you know, if we're giving people what they need and we're adding value and we're making their life easier and we're making that connection between you know, why not? It's going to sound cheesy now, Rob, but we're igniting that spark. See what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, with the excitement and the energy of, you know, that client accountant or client bookkeeper, client professional relationship. It's almost like there isn't really like that. That is the foundation of everything we do. However, like, like you say, looking then at bookkeeping software, there's so many different strategies. So, and it depends where in the world you are, which is something I've noticed, and even within similar software. So it could be the fact that, like you say, they're championing and partnering with the accountant, which actually means it's a selling through channel. So I, I think there's no right or wrong, as long as businesses are approaching it with like, the greater goods as, as an end goal. So business gets easier to be done and it's helping and it's a solution. Then I think, yeah, it's interesting to see all of the different approaches. I don't think anyone's ever nailed it. Mm. Talk to us about the M&A activity in the industry, because mergers and acquisitions, we're seeing it a lot with accounting firms. We're seeing it with the vendors. We're starting to see it with accounting firms merging with fintech and software vendors. We're starting to see private equity and venture capital money coming in. You know about that at Ignition. You've had a, a big injection of cash, which has taken you to another level. So talk to us about how the, the fintech and software industry is handling all of that. You know what? I find this really intriguing. It's almost like the floodgates have opened over the last couple of years. And and again, it's, I don't know, what do you think that would be potentially related to the pandemic? What are your thoughts on that, Rob? Who knows? We talk a lot, Martin Bissett and I, on the news of various acquisitions that have taken place. Some of them are a little off the charts, like Intuit and MailChimp. So we know things are going on. We then analyze the news and say, here's what it means to you accounting practitioners. Here's why you should take notice of this. But certainly there's a lot of consolidation, a lot of movement and a lot of M&A activity. So I don't know, one big box suite that does it all or a best in class variety of applications that will do it for you. All of these arguments come into play, don't they? Yeah, I, I think I think what we're going to end up with is more down the second route. So we've got you know a best in class box of, of, of like of application so I find it really interesting because you look at a couple of the recent ones so accountancy manager as an example and center yeah with bright group yeah so that they're they're really good examples right so you know center and accountancy manager we both know what part of the industry they play in so it's really interesting that we've got two bigger groups then acquiring similar products or well, it's not the same product you know what I mean but similar solutions like playing in the same part of the market so for me I mean from a vendor perspective you know, look at zero. There was very, very little M and A action whilst I was there, and it was just starting to kick off. I think a year and a half after I left, as we really started turning into that the more of the corporate global entity. Because again, it gets to a, a stage where you can't build for everything, and that's where we sit within that technology world. You can't build for everything, no matter how much injection of cash you've got. You can't tick every box. So when it makes sense, it makes sense to make those right M and A, I guess, calls. 
I also don't want to go too much into some of it, but like for me, what's interesting, and you called this out as well, is seeing accountancy firms starting to merge, like smaller accountancy firms. So it's always very much been a, oh, okay, there's an acquisition or a bigger one, or maybe there's been like two large ones from a group that have decided to break away and merge into one. Like it makes sense. But what I'm seeing now more and more of is on the smaller end of the of, of the scale, small to medium-sized practices starting to buy out other small to medium-sized practices. And I think a lot of that goes back to that, the discussion that um, I kind of called out around, you know, the, the, the next generation. So we do have these in the UK, especially like we have a lot of kind of sole traders or maybe, you know, two partner firms, um, like also two partner firms down to sole traders where they're at the stage where they are, you know, they're on the cusp of retiring. Do they really want to go through the pain of a full transformation or is it easier just to kind of sell out and let someone else do that? And the people that are buying or the people that are acquiring these firms have seen because they've gone through that transformation themselves they've seen how profitable it can be to take a firm like that with a really good client book and really good services and and you know the loyalty and the credibility as well that a lot of these firms have and be able to just make small tweaks even if that's putting it through a different process or putting it through a different technology um, system and seeing like really quickly the, the the huge increase on on margin that they can be getting it's all going on and speaking of all going on, it was practice ignition and now it's ignition. How has the rebrand gone for you and what was the thinking behind it? Because you were involved in that. Yes, yes, most definitely. And uh, it was quite interesting, actually, because we were we were going to, and this is a little behind the scenes insight, we were going to launch the rebrand towards the end of last year. And we ended up pushing it back. And I'm telling everyone it's because we were waiting for me to come back to, from maternity leave. Because the day I came back is the day we launched it. That's rubbish. Of course, it wasn't that. <laughs> like you have that kind of power. <laughs> I, I wish. I wish. Um, no, but it, it was great to still be able to. Because, again, it was, it's been literally 12 months worth of, worth of the whole branding work. But five years worth of the product work that kind of has got us to this position where, you know, the product is 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 a star. We've got customer advocacy now across the globe. Um, you know, we've identified um, different areas to continue to help the customers of so payments being one of it, revenue management being being aside as well. And it just made sense for us to, you know, we've grown up as a business, we've expanded, we had a really good Series B, and that's when I joined after the Series B. And it just made sense with the numbers that we were seeing, with the footprint that we had, and with the product that we had, we needed to grow up as a brand as well, like we had been growing up as a business. So for me, like when we hit Series B, that's when we went from startup to scale up. Now we're very much established kind of scale up to mature in business and continuing to grow. And we've still got that, that fun, exciting side, which is that fast paced scale. And you mentioned earlier about automating relationships with your platform. Can you really automate relationships? Because people might think they're personal. It's about the people. You can't automate something like that. Yeah, well, no, see, I, I to me, it's not necessarily automated. Like you, you, you don't need to tie automation in with, okay, you know, it's no longer personable because of that to me is, you know, that's, that's not two different things. I'm putting this into a really basic form. If I was going to have that outlook, I'd be thinking, well, what's the difference then with me walking over to my, I don't know, my device and pressing play on a button rather than me saying, hey, Google, can you play X song? For me, automation and being personable, like it doesn't have to be two separate things. So when I think about, you know, voice controls that we have maybe around our homes now, that doesn't make it any less personal. In fact, I'd probably argue the opposite. If I'm asking Siri or someone to, to go and turn my lights on rather than me walking over and pressing a cold wall switch. So it's the same with that relationship between your, your prospects and your clients and you as their trusted advisor. So having the technology, it doesn't replace the personal relationship and the trust that you have with that client. For me, it actually makes it stronger. So it gives visibility as a first one. So when you're looking at ignition things such as you know, being able to clearly see engagement letters on your desktop, being able to sign it, being able to have that platform for you to communicate with your customer or your prospect without having for them to travel each time and put a couple of pounds in the parking meter to park up and then see you. And then they've got to take time off work. Like there's a big difference. So it's, it's all about for me, it's all about how you can build in automation to make sure that the client experience is the best for them, whilst it's also working and maximizing your output as a firm. Nicely coined. You're a strong female voice in the industry. You have a part to play on that. You feel it's a crusade of yours. We did a, an interview just recently with Professor Anton Lewis. He's 
uh, a vanguard of black accounting. And we talked a lot about disenfranchised minorities and prejudiced groups. Women came into the conversation. There are not many in the accounting and fintech. Give us your thoughts on women in accountancy and fintech and those kind of awards and how that's all playing out, Emma. Yeah, do you know what I could? I'm not going to, but I could. I could sit here talking to you for hours on this. I really. <laughs> I know it's a passion of yours, and it should be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, look, we have come a long way as an industry. When I, again, when I compare before I left, like ten years ago, um, to coming back into the UK, we have come a long way in the right direction with regards to all biases that, that are involved in this industry, but not just in the industry, in the general population, and they're reflected then in the industry. We still have a hell of a long way to go. And I see this all the time. And the way that I best put it when I'm looking at the UK accounting and bookkeeping industries is, yes, there are strong, intelligent, successful leaders and business owners within the industry. What you will find is they're normally down the, the smaller end of firms and bookkeeper um, companies. And the reason being is because normally they've started up in one of the bigger end companies, but they haven't got the flexibility that they need. So they've got all of the talent, they've got all of the ability, they've got the experience, but actually maybe they've gone and they've had children or, you know, they've got something else in their life that's also a priority. And then we're seeing like this influx of, of you know, senior executive women doing their own thing and starting their own businesses because it gives them the, the life balance that they need. And as much as, you know, taking nothing away from men um, and, and, and parents of any type, unfortunately, well, it's not unfortunately, just it's life, the the, the most, the most um, I guess, when you're looking at bringing children up as an example, the duty of care does mainly fall on the mother. Just the fact, you know, just even the nine months of you you growing them, if that's the way that you've gone about having children. So, so it's um it's it's an interesting one. Like I'm definitely seeing more support within the industry, a lot more allies. So like yourself, Rob and Martin, as an example, I know you feel, you know, you ally a lot of minorities as well. We're doing something, but we're getting there. And as part of that, right, that's one of the reasons why we've been um, now five years um, celebrating Women in Accounting through the Ignition Women in Accounting Awards. So um, our entries have just closed for that. Um, I'm on the judging panel this year and I've already started judging through the first batch and I'm blown away. Like I literally had to have my, my box of tissues next to me and it was just amazing just seeing the story and some of the adversity, but also like how, how people have gone through that adversity and raised others and ensure that that's not impacted others and put a stop to it and called out, you know, these biases that along the theme of hashtag breaking the bias. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really good initiative. Um, I'm, I'm privileged to be on the judging panel, but I think as an industry, we've got a long way to go and we just need to continue talking about it and, and breaking down the barriers and, you know, normalizing the fact that it's an issue and we're going to work towards it as, as a team. Keep on rolling with that. Anton Lewis said at the conclusion of his interview about blacks and minorities in accounting, that the best thing we can do is keep talking because the more talking, it creates change and it changes uh, prejudices and gets over the stale male and pale type heritage of accounting and, and, and even fintech. So it's great what you're doing. Just in closing, Emma, we'll put your contact details in the show notes. You're a great partner of the show. It's great to have Ignition on board with us. Tell us what's coming up for Ignition over the next year or two. Oh my gosh, so there, there is so much coming. Obviously, we've had our new branding that's been rolled out. So um, we're really just, you know, go riding off the momentum of that. We've got lots of events coming up that we're going to be at. So anyone head into Accountex, um, I'll be seeing you there. We've got workshops that we're doing with partnership um, with with partners across the year. Um, and and the best thing is we've 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 already grown our team, and I'm I'm about to start another round of hiring as well. So hopefully we'll be able to get out on the road and actually start seeing more people now finally we're allowed to and we're not all locked away <laughs> yes and in terms of uh, ignition as a brand what would accounting practitioners listening to the show and we've got almost twenty five thousand of them in the uk and the s what kind of things might they be asking themselves that would warrant a conversation with somebody from ignition yeah that, that's a really good way to put it actually for me it's more around you know if you're thinking about how you can I'm using the word automate, but how you can make it easier to win clients and how you can make it easier to continue engaging with your valued customers. If you want some insights and in what works and, and how Ignition can help you do that, then I'd reach out and, and, and just have a chat. Um, again, no obligation. You could start a trial. Um, and likewise, on, on the other side of that, one of the big things that we've seen, which is why, you know, there was such a demand increase across the pandemic is you know with your with your valued clients all or with all of your clients you know being able to then bill and collect 
the revenue utilizing this one system. Um, again, if you wanted to get paid easily or, or easier, um, come and have a chat to us as well. Yeah. What's coming up for the accounting industry? You talked about what's happening in fintech and for the vendors. What should they be mindful of? Because they've been through a lot of changes. The more of it coming or will things calm down a little bit? What's your predictions? So I think we're at that tipping point. So as I said, I feel like we've had that that pressure put onto us to maybe move a bit quicker when it comes to changes. I think what we're at now is people in um, firms in the industry can either go left and continue on that that change management and that that continuous cycle of, of improvement or people will identify a different goal that maybe isn't along that improvement and that growth line that they're going to go down that route as well. So I think I think we could potentially see a bit of a split in, in the two choices there. So people that are going to ride the wave, the momentum, the continuous, um, the change piece, or people who are going to say, actually, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I'm going to I'm going to focus on this because this is what makes me, this is what my goal is. Exciting times, huh? Definitely, yeah. I'm Honestly, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm really looking forward to summer as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Emma Crawford, Folicono from Ignition. It's been so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your passion and your insights. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. It's been a real pleasure. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. This has been the Accounting Influencers Podcast. You've got this far. We thank you for tuning in. One of our 25,000 listeners all over the world. We're growing by a few hundred each week and we really value your contribution, your patronage of the show, your accounting practitioners and you people in the fintech world that serve them sell to them, sell through them. It is great to have you along for the journey. I've been Rob Brown and along with Martin Bissett, my co-host, we want to thank the guests for this week's show. Remember that on a Monday, you tune into the big show, which gives you the interviews, the news, and its practical applications for you in your life. And our practical Here's What Works section that comes out on a Thursday as well as a standalone episode. And remember our Saturday bonus, We're doing a series right now on The Price is Right. It's a play on the game show where we tackle that very prickly subject for accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers on pricing. How do you do it confidently? Now, remember, we know there are lots of podcasts out there. Some of them are very technical in nature. Some of them are very technological in nature, talking about cloud and digital and everything else. We are a show based on performance for accounting practitioners. How can you sell more? How can you be more? How can you do more? How can you serve your clients better? How can you stay informed, build that commercial acumen and awareness that you need? Thank you for tuning in. It's part of your CPE, your CPD, Continued Professional Development and Education. So thank you to Earmark CPE for providing that for us. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on next week's show. Remember also you've got the Saturday bonus coming up. We teach you the price is right. All the challenges and solutions to getting pricing totally sorted in your accounting practice. Have a great day. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.